birth. This is not a church uh, by the works of man. Nobody can build the church but you, Lord Jesus. In fact, you said you would do it. And that even the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And we thank you, Lord, for your kindness. That in your sovereign plan, you, you divinely willed a church to be here in Ormond Beach called River Bend Community Church. A church you would use for many, many years to spread the truth of the gospel. And you would open its doors to many who are in need and desperate for for a pardoning for their sins. You would open your doors to those who hunger and thirst for the word of God and want to be in fellowship somewhere where the word is preached unashamedly. Prayer and discipleship are part of our daily routine. And so we thank you for the church that gathers at Riverbend. It is certainly yours, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that you let us be involved. You let us come alongside what you're doing. Whether it be ministries from warm to children's ministries to preaching and teaching and discipleship to caring for the elderly, whatever it may be, so many ministries operate here, but all under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, Lord, and I pray this for all my brothers and sisters here, we bow our knee to you. You are our Lord, our God, and our Savior. And we thank you for being the perfect head of the church. May we line up everything under you. May we learn day after day to be gripped by the gospel, challenged by the truth of the word of God, and learning to love one another great more and more each and every day. Lord, I pray that this message would do that. Thank you for our missionaries around the world. We know the mission starts here. Lord, if we don't do it here, how can we do it overseas? So we thank you for our local ministries. But we do thank you for the ministries overseas, those men and women who have been sent there, Lord, or raised up there to proclaim the gospel. We pray for Pastor O'Meal and Pastor Sherlock as they travel great distances. We pray that you would guide them and bless them and bring them safely here. May their ministry encourage us and may that encourage us to be more involved with missions seeing that you are at work promising to save people from every language every nation and certainly as we'll see every tribe lord we thank you for this lord be with those who could not be here those ailing those sick those suffering lord lord that cause them to be reminded that you are with them bless this time now in jesus name amen 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and following, we really get into godly characteristics of the Lord's worker. That has been my theme the last few sermons. And last week we jumped into and we got through three of these five imperatives. In a way of introduction, I just want to just go back and just remind us just briefly of the first three and then jump into the last two and see how we do from there. The Bible says, first of all, in verse 13, be on alert. It is the first of these five imperatives. Remember, imperative is not a suggestion. <laughs> it's not meaning just maybe think about this. It is something that's telling us that this is what God is commanding. Our loving, perfect Father is commanding us to be involved in this. So he says, be alert. The idea was, remember, it was spiritually awake. It's the opposite of spiritually sleeping or indifferent to truth. 
reminded that the Greek word speaks of a, uh, of a spiritual attentiveness. We're alert to the things of the Lord. Speaks of being alive spiritually. We talked greatly about the opposite of that. What, what causes the slumbering believer? Well, it's often selfishness, right? That causes that spiritual sleep. And the Corinth church was caught in that trap. And because of that, they had become so sinful and it, it marred their doctrine and their practice. Love of self will always cause Satan to be alerted to you. You want to draw his attention? Be selfish. You're right up his alley. And then that leads to temptation. Selfishness leads to temptation. A lack of spiritual alertness will now bring you into the dangers of temptation. You'll rationalize and you'll justify just to satisfy your own flesh. How many times have I met with somebody who wanted to do something and though we showed them that God's word says no, they, they fought and fought trying to rationalize what they wanted. No joy out of that. So often I watch the hardships that follow that. See, when we are selfish, we have no idea what the Lord is doing. We don't know what he's doing. We don't know what he's doing here at Riverbend. We don't know what he's doing around the world. We don't know. Because self has taken us over. The truth of the word of God is less valuable to us and we become vulnerable. But God's word is what brings us out of that. It's an imperative. It's part of that being alert. You're alert because you study God's word. You know it. It's both a warning and an encouragement to us. And there we find the great fruit of the spirit. We talked about being self-controlled. Self-control keeps you alert, right? You don't drift off. The spirit of God is in us making us self-control so we're not controlled by our own desires there's a there's a soberness to that self-control a reality of who we are in Christ that alerts us to the glory of God when you're alert he'll take you through devastating situations and you'll still worship him worship him things can be bad things can be painful but he'll bring you through it because you're now alert to his glory and you know he loves you oh spiritual alertness is so important And that Christian also is watching and waiting for the return of Jesus. Secondly, we looked at the next imperative, which was to stand firm in the faith. And we talked at length that faith is a gift from God. What a beautiful gift. God grants dead people the ability to have faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? We were dead in our sins and now alive to Christ. Unless, unless your faith is of yourself. And we were warned of that. We looked at many of the writings from the apostles, both James, Peter, and Paul, and we realized what they were trying to say to us is that if someone says they have faith, but there's nothing, no no change that comes, there's been no evidence of, of the work of faith, they fool themselves. Thus, they can't stand in what they don't have. So often they can play church for a little while. They can say prayers and walk aisles and confess Jesus and even some be baptized. But they have not the reality of Jesus Christ. And one of the things I love about that is is it reminds me that there is no way for us to be saved without reflecting the power of Christ. 
Because if we say we're saved and yet there's no change, it's a denial of the authority and the power of Christ to take dead people and make them alive. Oh my goodness. When you start thinking about that. That's, that's, our, that's such insurance that God took this sorry, dead soul and made him alive for Christ. Is that you? Or are you still slumbering away? You're still waking, waiting for your soul to be awakened. See, faith is based in truth. It awakens deadness. It's a radical transformation. You can't say anything different about it. You can't say I was dead in my sins and now I'm alive in Christ and not speak of radical transformation. And we know, look, we, we understand that justification, initial sanctification is this radical change and he puts us on this journey growing in the image of Christ, progressing in the image of Christ and, and that has some challenges in it. But it's still radical, isn't it? When dead men walk, it's radical. Corinthians had substituted their faith for worldly wisdom. They had integrated worldly wisdom. It confused many and caused them not to stand in their God-given faith. But standing in your God-given faith means you have sat down in the Word of God. <laughs> and standing in the faith that God gives you means you love other people who stand in that faith. We're a family. We've been brought together. And that faith begins to say, I see the difference in the worldly wisdom. I now have a biblical worldview of what's going on here with my own heart and this world. See, that, that faith changes us, doesn't it? Where we're weak, it makes us strong. Where we doubt, it gives us assurance. See, we stand in not some personal faith. We stand in a faith given by God, how precious that is. And then we came to act like men, the third imperative you see there. What an amazing statement. Men is added, it's, it's, it's certainly in the one word there, the, the masculine aspect of that. But because it was a problem in Corinth, men have failed to lead. The idea of the Word there means an idea of maturity with courage, right? We've talked about that. The Corinthians had failed to mature, and they, they failed to mature into a courageous faith. And they were like children, Paul said. When are you going to grow up? Paul desired for them to, particularly the men, to exercise self-control, be humbly confident in the work of Christ, be courageous, and yet he had to say, put away childish things. Too many men today in the church. The first thing out of them is childish things. When squeezed, when difficulty comes, what comes out of you? Childish things? Or does a love of Christ, a, a confidence in his finished work, what comes from us men when we are squeezed? See, are we maturing in Christ? Are we loving Christ? Are we loving his word? Are we loving his people? See, that's the biblical hallmark of maturity. It is the overarching principle of the spirit to love. It started in the garden. We talked about that. And it's wrecked homes and churches since. Where men failed to mature. We challenged ladies as well last week, as you remember, your role is so important. 
It is so unique. God has given you a very different role to bring him glory. Both men and women equal in the presence of their Savior. Both equal in doctrine and practice, but different roles. So as wives, you are charged to be a helpmate. Do you help your husband lead? Or do you rob that from him? See, when the Spirit indwells you, you can love your spouse, you can forgive them. The Bible says you can even love your enemies. You can love those who even harm you, the Bible says. We can rise above sin and we can rise above the marriages of the world when we're dedicated to him. The result of all of these first three is men start acting like men, Jesus-loving men, word-loving men, church-loving men, husbands and wives submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ in their own homes and to each other. And we present these gospel marriages. Well, there's just a review of those first three. If you missed that sermon, I'd really encourage you to go back and catch up with these. Um, these are just, these five imperatives just really grip the heart of a true believer. And they're good to come back to. Well, this brings us to our first point, but our fourth imperative. This morning we wrote this, a spiritual strengthening unknown by the world, but available to the redeemed. You'll notice in verse 13 there, it says, be strong, right at the end of this verse. The last imperative, again, just one Greek word here. In the context, we understand this verb to mean that you're made strong through experiences that God allows into your life. You say, well, what do you mean by that, Scott? Well, the way we understand this, one, it's it's passive. It's a passive verb. None of the other ones are. This one is passive. And that means that God uses divine plan that he has for your life, divine events to strengthen you to stand firm in your faith. He wants to make you strong, but in his son. Not strong in your whoever you are or whatever your abilities and whatever you think you have, he wants you to be strong in the Lord. And so he takes these experiences in this life, in his divine plan, he allows them into your life, and many of us go, I don't want that one. And he says, no, no, you need that one. I'm perfect in all of I do. I've chosen this for you. And we accept that. And yes, he does cause all things to work together to good, for good, to those who love God. Let me add, love his word and love others. To those who are called according to his, remember that passage there, divine purposes. You go, Scott, is, is my illness, is my struggle, whatever it may be, is it my income, is that God's divine purpose? Well, it is in some way. Are you, how long will you fight that? Until you bend the knee. Oh, Paul had all kinds of struggles, didn't he? We see in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12 where he goes through these massive lists of all the things, dangerousness, dangerousness, and all these things. And then on top of that, he has a thorn in the flesh, right? And how many times did he ask the Lord? Three, remove this. And it never tells us what it is. We have our thoughts, don't we? But in the end, what does he do? He says, as God speaks to him, he records it. He says, my God's Grace is sufficient for you. God tells him, Paul, I know you're suffering, 
I know you have a thorn in your flesh that you don't understand or, or can't figure out or think it might be better if it was gone, but my strength is here and it's going to come through grace. And you can either fight it or receive it. He says, for power is perfected in weakness. You see, it isn't the other way around. It's when we are weak where we find the power of God. You are not going to find it standing in your strength, standing in your boot, solace bootstrapness, right? Pulling your own self up. You're going to find it often when you say, God, I got nothing left. I'm desperate for you. An old song we used to sing. Paul goes on to write, most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. It's interesting when you think about that phrase, as you study that, you begin to tear that about, and you go, wait a minute. Paul says, I would rather boast in my weakness. I would rather say, here's what God let me go through, and the reason he's going through it, because he's going to show his power mighty. See, obedience develops spiritual strength. It sends you into the spiritual gymnasium, right? It sends you into the spiritual gym. Obedience says, God, I'm going to keep running. I'm going to keep working for you. And through that, he strengthens you. And seldom is there any really spiritual gain without any spiritual pain. We go through that at times. The Lord wants us to learn to depend upon him. Sometimes we maybe even fall before we walk. But there's our God holding our hands, providing for us in those maybe early days of Christianity and even in those late days of Christianity. There he is holding our hand. We watch him as he strengthens us. And listen, brothers and sisters, we don't quit. He's worthy. He's worthy no matter what he asks of you. We don't quit. And that's how we grow. We grow by his strength. I was recently listening to Steve Fernandez's sermon. He was my last of my mentors. He passed away a decade ago. I was listening to a sermon and jot it down. He, 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 boy, he loved to preach Christ and he loved to challenge believers. This is what he said along this line. He said, as long as God gives us the opportunity to minister with the people of God in any capacity, even to just stir up some discouraged people, I'm going to keep doing it until I die. There is no retirement from serving Jesus, is there? You never get to the age where you don't serve Christ. There's no retirement in mind. It's a little bit crazy. Because when we finally get to where maybe we have a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of maturity, a little bit of insight, we quit. You get old enough to figure out this thing. And you gain maturity on how to show patience and tolerance and how to forgive and serve. And how to know when to go slow and to wait on the Lord. And then we quit. You don't find it in God's word We serve Jesus until he takes the tent down. We have turned into a bunch of wimps, he said. (laughs) Oh, I can't serve because I have this problem or I have that problem. I got 14 kids. I got who knows what or whatever I've got. (laughs) I can hear Steve preaching this. 
We serve Christ and bring him glory for what he has done for us until we die or until he comes and gets us. So that's what Paul's doing here. He's trying to rally this church out of their self-centeredness into running after Christ and everything they have. He wants them to be strong in Christ. This is just a theme throughout his writings. Colossians chapter 1, 10 through 12. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, you're bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Now listen to this. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Bobby opened up with Hebrews 1, 3. The all-powerful Christ holding all all things in his hands. This is who strengthens us. See, Jesus Christ and his word provide ultimate spiritual strength to the true believer. And why? Because he himself said, apart from me, you can do what? And yet, what do we try to do? Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Good response here. (laughs) Here we all go, yeah, everything. I know. I know, Jesus. He said, I can't do anything without you, but I've sure been trying. How's it going? Bad. Paul said in Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through him who. So on the other end, there's this realization that I can suffer well. I can live well for Christ. I can go through trials and temptations for Christ. I can do all of that because it's not me who's doing it. It is the strength of Christ doing it in me. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, listen to what he says, who strengthened me. Who strengthened me. That's where he finds it. He finds that ability to get up again. The alarm goes off. Get up. Turn to the Lord. Find your strength in him at the first thing at morning light. First thing in the morning, find your strength in him. When you lay down your head, find your strength in him. Talk to him at noon and Morning, noon, and night. Spend time with the one who can strengthen you. Paul goes on to say, because he considered me faithful, putting me into ministry. He considered, he considers us faithful. Because he gave us faith, and we can be faithful, and he'll strengthen you to be faithful. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 Paul in that great prayer as he prays in and out of that letter, prays and then preaches and prays and preaches. In chapter 3, verse 16, he says this in his prayer, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. That's just unfathomable riches beyond the, the human mind. And then he says this, to be strengthened with power through his spirit where? In the inner man. Well, I'd like you to strengthen my pocketbook. Wrong church. (laughs) He strengthens us in the inner person. He goes right to our soul where his spirit resides within us. He gives us strength that you know doesn't come from you. It comes from beyond you. That's why Paul's saying, be strong in the Lord, right? Be strong in yourself. We, we often make mistakes with people. I remember years ago, I had a friend I played basketball with. He played basketball for the Navy and went into the Navy, and all he did is shoot hoops. It was a great, great career. 
played all over the world, and him and I got to play on some teams later after we our basketball careers were kind of gone. We played a little bit. Well, Jim had a wife that um, he had met. She had been so abused. I'll never forget her testimony of what her own father and others had done to her. Just There's probably some in here who can relate. Well, Christians got a hold of her. They said, well, everybody needs to hear this story. So the problem was she wasn't quite straightened by Christ yet. She had a great story that everybody wanted to hear of how do you come out of such abuse and how do you have three boys now and have this marriage and all of that. But, but she didn't find her strength in Christ yet. And I remember young in the ministry kind of watching this and going, oh, I would be careful here. But they kept pushing her. People kept pushing her, kept pushing her out in front and getting her in front of the church and getting her in front of people and all those things. And in time it proved that she did not have the strength of Christ. She abandoned her husband, abandoned her three boys, and turned back to the lifestyle that was committed against her. See, we see this happen. And one of the reasons why we work so hard at discipling here is we want to know that your strength is in Christ. Because what happens if it is that you tear a lot of things up, you'll tear your marriage up, you'll tear your children up, you'll, you'll, you'll tear your friends up, you'll, you'll tear up your family, you'll tear up things. If your strength is not in Christ on our own, we are just left to our sinful tendencies and there's nothing but destruction that follows it. One little Greek word here we're on right now. Be strong. <laughs> Ephesians, we're so weak. And, and, and today, Christians are dominated by fear and anger they frustrate, they're frustrated with words like submission. Uh, we, we can't lead. We can't submit. Our, our marriages and our society is just stuck. Often churches are that way. I got a phone call yesterday from a young man who says, I got to leave my church. What's, that? What's going on? And so I, man, they seem to preach the gospel at times, and then they... They put women in roles that men should be in, and men don't take the roles that they're supposed to be in. Dad, it's just, it's just amazing how far it's gone south, and they begin to go, oh, God, where have we gone? Well, you ask yourself, is the Lord your strength? And where, let me, let me go a little farther with this. Where do you see his strength evident in your life? Or is this just a bunch of nonsense? Paul told Timothy in this verse, I, I know where I was sitting. I, I can remember right where I was very, very young in the ministry when I began to tear apart this verse. Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Listen to the words of that. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul did not tell Timothy to be strong in himself. He was timid already. <laughs> he was suffering from what people thought of him possibly. He's coming along, filling the shoes of the great apostle Paul in Paul's church in Ephesus. The answer to Timothy was, don't be strong in yourself. Be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll never forget this just gripped me. I was just a dumb cowboy. I couldn't barely read. I was so dyslexic. 
I had no male examples from my home. I had very little schooling. And I was starting to preach. And I said, God, you just have the wrong guy. I I don't want to tell you you're wrong, but you are. This guy can't do this. He can sweep floors and, and he can teach some kids and he can, he can do some of that stuff, but you can't, you can't do this with him. And this verse just plowed me time and time again. Be strong in the grace of the Lord. And that's when God's grace began to just capture me and I, I began to realize, and this is where I came up with the statement, God or Scott, are you still amazed at grace? Because see, that's what strengthens you. That's where our strength comes from. It comes from the grace of God. Not from something we can muster up in ourselves, some kind of attendance we can do. It comes from the grace of God. And Paul knew if Timothy was going to have any excess in this ministry, if any, any great things were going to come for the glory of God, it was going to be come from this young man who put his hope in the grace and the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the last imperative we see in our second point, and probably our last point today. Come in, you got to give me some help here, man. <laughs> How do you preach this stuff without sitting down in it? I, I mean, I just keep going on being strengthened. Why? Because I need to be strengthened. But we got to move. Second, striving to do everything in love because we have the nature of God within us. Look at verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. This is the fifth imperative here. See, the Apostle Paul is not interested in being strong without love. That's just a jerk. (laughs) That's just a self-centered person. He's not interested in Christians being strong without love. He's not interested in men acting like men who don't love. He's not interested in having some kind of uber alertness without love. He wants the love of Christ to permeate you, permeate you so that you are alert. <laughs> it is the love of Christ that wakes us up in the morning. I'm a son of God. I'm a child of the king. I've been loved from the foundations of the world. He saw that the Corinthians had forgotten that message. He knew that there's no way they could stand firm in their faith without love. Remember, they can't even do communion. They can't do the Lord's table, right? They can't share a meal. They gobble up the food before the poor people get in here, of course. We wouldn't want them to get it. These people are selfish and ultimately has to come down and say, love's the greatest of all things. In fact, when you look at this list of five imperatives, none of these things can be accomplished without love. Without true, agape, self-emptying, unconditional love. I love that word. When you study agape, that's where I'm just downloading definitions, right, as I think about agape love. Self-emptying. When's the last time you emptied yourself for someone else? How about your spouse? children, your fellow church member, the lost person at work. See, there's no greater demonstration of a self-emptying love than the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's why we talk about a Christ-like love. See, all these previous attributes, these four other imperatives, they begin and end with love. That's where it comes from. 
You'll say, how is this possible? Well, it's possible. How, how can we love like this? Well, because this is the perfect and most beautiful attribute of God. Uh, it, is, it is a quality of him that we, we love. It's not greater than any of his other attributes, but we resonate with it, don't we? Because his love permeates our life. We see it in our salvation. We see it in our daily life. It is his, his love that we receive through the Spirit. Paul says that the love of God has been poured out on us through his Spirit, Romans chapter 5. And so love creates biblical manhood and womanhood. Love causes maturity to be gentle and kind and humble. Longing for the strength of Christ in those things. Love causes our instruction and our doctrine to be heard and protected from legalism and self-righteousness. That's what, love does so much, doesn't it? Preach the truth in what? Love, Paul told them. And that doesn't mean some cozy, you know, cross your legs and do your fingers. That's, love has to go right back to the, to the source of love. That's why we don't buy the world's view of love. She and I were walking on the beach last night, and somebody wrote something about love on there. We just kind of looked at it and go, mm. man, if that's what love is, a person's in trouble. Love is from God. Because God is love. He's the definition of it. See, love causes our instruction to be full of grace and mercy and it keeps us from being legalistic and self-righteous. See, Paul knew that this Corinth church needed this. They needed it. They, 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 they had the truth, but they didn't love and it turned out to be miserable. And you, I don't know if you've ever been around people who, who are so doctrinally sound, but they're so miserable to be around. See, here's the key. Love Christ. Love his word. Love his people. That's what he wants in everything. He goes, Scott, where do you get that? Well, the Bible's just full of it. First John 4, 7, 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So if we don't love, how can you say you belong to the one where love comes from? It's very serious, isn't it? It's a serious charge. Scott, I'm struggling with love. Tell him. He already knows it. Tell him you're an unloving person. And I want to love more like you, God. Just tell him that. See what he'll do with you. See if he'll break your hard heart and cause you to be a, a lover of the things that he loves. See, when God saves us, he not only forgives us of our past, present, and future sins, but he regenerates us and renews us through his spirit. And then what's so amazing is he puts within us a nature like his own. Isn't that astounding? Well, what's God's nature like? God's nature's like is love. <laughs> it's certainly holiness and all those other great attributes. But one of the things we know and we're told that God is love. And so when he saves us, he puts his spirit within us. And the first overarching principle of the fruit of the spirit is love. And so Paul says, do all things with love. I mean, we know these verses, right? 419, 1 John 419. We love, why? Because he first loved us. You thought you got the corner market on love? You know you don't. <laughs> you got that from God. 
He has shown you. He says, we love, right? Now, he's talking about what we're doing right now with each other. We're loving each other. We're preaching and teaching and soaking in the scriptures and we're caring for each other. And I hope afterwards you find somebody and get caught up in their life and what's doing and how you can serve them in some way. I hope you're practicing this. But we do this because he did it. We're following our master. We want to be like our father, our Abba Father, God. We want to love. And so what is the indisputable, non-refutable evidence of the Spirit in someone? It's clearly that there is this God-like, Christ-like love within us on some kind of consistent basis. I, I, I just think, think about the faithful church. Faithful church battles sin but loves sinners. If you're a sinner in here, welcome to the group. <laughs> Join the ranks. We're saved sinners. And we love you. Because God loved us. And you're welcome here. And so the church battles sin but loves the sinner. We battle in our own life. We battle as it tries to make its way into this church. And we battle it. We stand lovingly for truth. We don't compromise. We're unashamed of the gospel. And we love sinners because God loves us. The faithful church rejects worldly wisdom but saturates itself in the word. It's just so much pushing on quote the American church today we reject the worldly wisdom we re reject their definition of love we reject their definition of marriage we, we reject their definition of life after death we, we reject everything, we reject their view of creation <laughs> they don't even have a view of creation we reject all of that because it's not biblical <laughs> and yet you walk in your, this door as an evolution of an atheist or anything, we love you we're glad you're here but we won't compromise because we have the loving truth you need Amen. Faithful church loves one another. The faithful church loves one another. You love me. I'm hard to love. Ask Gina. I, I, I'm wound up like a 10-day clock, man. And I don't even know what that clock is. My dad used to say that. I have a foot on the pedal all the time. Gina and I say to each other, she goes, I'll go, hon, man, thank you. You, you helped bring my pace back. And she says, thank you for pushing me because I probably didn't get anything done and I'd probably do everything bad. And, and together we push and pull and the Lord keeps us. And we're both very passionate people about what we do, but do you love me? Because I love you. I love every one of you. Not because I'm paid to love you. <laughs> they might have to pay me more than that. <laughs> <laughs> Did I just say that? <laughs> I love you because Christ loved me. And I forgive because God forgave me. And see, that's the relationship we have in this church. It's built on the principles of a loving God who taught us to love him, love his son, love his word, and love one another. A faithful church dies to self and clings to Christ. You want to love? You got to die to self. You can't love self and love somebody else. It just don't work. I promise you. You'll be in a war that you will not win. Yourself is way, way powerful than you give it credit for. You have to die to self. 
And that's what a good church does. It dies to self and it clings to Christ. And then marriages get healed. Relationships get healed. Friendships get stronger because they're bonded in the Lord Jesus Christ instead of our own gifts and own empowerment. So are you a faithful, loving member of the body of Christ? Lord, I thank you that we can trust you. You give us these imperatives and these verses and written 2,000 years ago as you inspired every jot and tittle through the hand of Paul as he etched out this truth to a church that was so unloving, so uncaring, failing doctrinally, failing in their marriages, failing in almost every area. You inspired him to write these. This is from the hand of God. And so as we look at these imperatives, learning being reminded, be alert. There's one prowling for you. Be alert because Jesus is worth being attentive to. Stand firm in your faith because it's a gift from God. Don't misuse it. Don't bury that gift in the sand. Stand firm in it. Love the Lord with all your heart and your soul and your might and your strength. Act like men. Be mature. Lord, we should be maturing as men and women, boys and girls, growing in the maturity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we should find our strength in you. And so this would cause us to do all things in love. Do everything in love. Lord, we thank you for the examples and Stephanos and others that we're going to see in the coming weeks, Lord. We pray that that would encourage our hearts. And as we look around the room and been reminded through our own lives of men and women who have been faithful to Christ and his church, may we strive to be the same. Lord, now we turn to your table. I can't think of a greater motivation for these five imperatives than the remembrance of our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, was buried for us, and was resurrected for us. In Jesus' name.